episode 82 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we explore films previously described by other wanderers against the uncaring void as masterpieces. Um, I am Nick, the inexperienced rookie on this mission, and I'm joined as ever by the grizzled veteran Roger, who knows his way around a, uh, a spacesuit. And indeed a planet. <laughs> and a planet, exactly. Um, we are discussing for the second time one of Alfonso Cuaron, Cuaron's um, uh, films. This time we're concentrating on 2013's uh, uh, low-orbit masterpiece, possibly Gravity. Uh, and those of you wondering which Hollywood blockbuster I was annoyed about <laughs> at the end of the Before Trilogy that I was talking about last week, this film... Uh, uh, did manage to annoy me quite quickly um, and quite early on. It doesn't help that both Roger and I are space nuts, and uh, you, Roger, have a much clearer grasp of orbital mechanics than I do, but certainly a much clearer grasp of orbital mechanics than the writers of Gravity do. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to I, d- I don't want just a nitpick, but okay. I'm probably going to anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the thing is... All right, there is a spaceflight simulator. It's called Orbiter. Um, yes, it, it, I'm aware of it. It's freeware for Windows. Unfortunately, it doesn't run on anything else, so I haven't been able to run it lately. But uh, the basic idea is it is as phys- as realistic physics as possible. Mm. And a lot of what you do in it is essentially plot orbital mechanics and you know plane changes and I'm in a lower orbit, I want to be in a higher one or I want to rendezvous with that object or th- things like that. And I discovered when I was playing this that apparently I have an intuitive feel for <laughs> orbital, this sort of orbital work, which was a little which, surprising. <laughs> I, I'm going to segue slightly to orbital mechanics because it's slightly, uh, it's pretty early in the podcast for it, but as I understand it, everything in an orbit is basically going at the same speed and so if you uh, stop me if I'm wrong if you speed up you then enter a different orbit you don't just go forward more quickly you actually move away from well move closer to the earth yeah your your orbit is essentially defined by six numbers they don't and the the easy way to think of of it is your position in xyz and your velocity in xyz Right. Those aren't the six numbers you normally use, but you can change any of them and your orbit is a different one. Okay. Which uh, is a problem for this film because a lot of it, again, we'll get, maybe we'll get the nitpicking out of the way, but a lot of the plot points of this <laughs> no, film are that, really won't. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the plot points of this film involve things in the same orbit moving more quickly than other things in that orbit, which I don't think or is Or similar how it... orbits or something, yeah. So, okay, so o- overall plot. Let, let's say yes. um, we we have a space shuttle mission. Th- this was written in two thousand and eight before the space shuttle was retired, or at least the first draft was. By the time it was made, of course, it was science fiction. But 
I think that was hastened by the loss of um, Discovery, wasn't it? But it was already going to be it was going to be mothballed uh, pretty soon after that. But anyway, um, so we, we we have this mission going on, and then um, there is there is a sudden orbital debris hazard. The Russians detonate one of their satellites, which triggers a, a cascade. Yeah, so the, this was the first point at which I started shouting at the film. <laughs> oh dear. So, I, I mean, well, on, on the I, one hand, I can see why they do it this way. They, they, they have this long explanation of how this, you know, sending debris here is bad because each bit of debris can hit something else and then that can release more debris and so on and so on. Yes. The problem is, all these people having this conversation are trained astronauts. E- even, um, who is it? Ryan. Um, yeah, Sa- Sandra, Sandra Bullock. Bullock's character. Uh, yeah, she, she has had six months training before going on this mission as well. So all of them would be familiar with the term Kessler syndrome. Yes. And the, the thing that I, I strongly suspect an actual astronaut would say is, okay, we've got a Kessler syndrome going on, pack up now. And yes. then maybe explain it while they are. <laughs> you could yeah. have Ryan say, "I'm sorry, I must have missed that. It still needs me. Remind me," or something like that. Yeah. But they wouldn't explain it in such painful detail. It's a bit. Um, I don't know. Apollo 13 did a better job of this, really, because they, you know, they have things like gimbal lock. We got gimbal lock. You don't know what gimbal lock is, but you know it's bad by the mm-hmm. way they're talking about. I mean, I do know what gimbal lock is, but if you did, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it, it would have. Um, yes. Uh, uh, so straight away, I think that straight away it's very hollow. You know, we have a guy. We have George Clooney's character, um, the, the experienced uh, astronaut, who is constantly wasting his fuel. Orbiting the Hubble space. I don't know why he's doing that. Okay, yeah, so, so, right, so the, the actual MMU was retired in the 1990s. Yeah. And what, what, what the actual hardware they had was the, uh, the thing they called the Safer rig, uh, which is basically intended for emergency use only and it can produce about a 10 foot per second delta V total. Yeah. For a single yeah. astronaut. Uh, clearly that's not what it is. It's clearly some upgraded there, there, model. There is some new jetpack that, that that they have been deploying for this purpose. But, but it does have limited fuel. If that fuel. were the case, then they would be saying, well, you know, well, we're, we're doing this test, you know, start test 17, go over here and come back. That kind Whereas of thing. You would not be, be asked about. He just seems to be like patrolling or something. I don't know quite what he's doing. It's not explained, but it's not. I, I agree with you. There could have been, he, he's just telling stories and circling the Hubble not doing anything. It took it. It cost a lot of money to get that man up there. You'd think they'd have him mm-hmm. doing something other than and, and certainly the the any, any real world shuttle mission was very much everything is timed down to the minute of what you are going to be doing and what experiments you're going to be conducting and so on. So that yeah. said, it does not mess around. I mean, gravity. Uh, the film moves at a pretty fast pace. Mm. I mean, we get a, a fairly brief introduction to uh, our two main characters, and, and really... The, frankly, the only two main... spaces we see. Yes, well, we see one. <laughs> but it's not. there's not much left of it by the time we see Who's it. complete uh, spaces we see. Yes, all right, yeah, that's, that's probably a better way of putting it. So we have Ryan, um, who is... Uh, uh, I'm not quite clear whether she's a doctor or... She's an engineer as well, so I don't know if she's like a... I, I don't quite know... What she is? Can I speak? Yeah, yeah, yeah they never engineer. made it completely clear. The the feeling I got was she 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 is the medical engineer who has 
developed this new imaging magic. Oh, that's Because right, they yes, never go into any particular yes. detail. And is as uh, in any of adding it to the Hubble as part of that's the That's right, it's a prototype. And it is explicitly stated to be the Hubble. Um, at least yeah, in that, the that, we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, and then we have Kowalski, the the old veteran who's trying to beat the um, the spacewalk, um, which seems to be the sole reason he's up there. Uh, but he is um, uh, the consummate... Uh, yeah, I mean, he does feel quite NASA in that he's very homely and hokey, but also an absolute professional who doesn't panic um, and does the right thing, even when it doesn't make sense. <laughs> he does the right thing according to the script. Um, in George Clooney, I don't think we've had either... George Clooney or Sandra Bullock on Ribbon of Me? No, I think you're right. Not that I can recall. Um, and pretty clear, pretty quickly, we have the uh, uh, the chain reaction, the Kessler um, uh, syndrome. Is it syndrome or uh, syndrome? Usually, yeah. Yeah, um, that uh, pretty quickly, uh, in short order, destroys the shuttle, kills one of the astronauts, kills both the pilots of the shuttle, and sends um, Ryan spinning off um, into space hmm. um, and the only person who can do anything about it is um, uh, Kowalski yeah, who has the only his, other um... person who's still alive so you know <laughs> <laughs> he has his jetpack so he manages she uh, she disappears from his view because she I, I think she goes around to the night side of the earth well the, the, the whole thing is going around to, to the night side it, it, the whole thing is yes that, that sort of orbital altitude you, you look at about a 90 minute plus or minus and that does, yeah, it gets that, uh, well, anyway, uh, but yes, yeah, so well, it's a... Uh, being fair, I, th- I think they do that quite effectively, you know, we're, we're starting, everything is in daylight, everything yes. is nice and happy, and then, then it's gradually getting darker, and, okay, I'm, I'm going to com- continue to complain about a lot of things, but the visual effects look gorgeously real. Oh my god, this is a beautiful film. Now, I watch this on my phone, as I often do, <laughs> and it is... Beautiful. This was an IMAX release, wasn't it? So I mean, it must have been spectacular to see. And and I think, to be fair, we're picking a lot of the film. I mean, this film was a visual spectacle, and it is, it is a feast for the eyes. It really does look. It's one of those seamless special effects things that you really can't see the joins. It just looks. And maybe there are some. I I would argue that um, yeah, it had to be really because. You know, science fiction film in the sixties. You, you, you know, if you were a space fan, and a lot of people were, uh, yeah. you might have seen some grainy black and white footage and so on, but you wouldn't know what it looks like. Now we do. Yeah, now we have high res images of, of spacewalks, and um, and it looks like them. I mean, uh, the the uh, the weightlessness, or should I say, the free fall effects here. I I don't know if they spent a lot of time. I didn't actually look into the making. Did they spend a lot of time in the vomit comet thing? Not particularly. Produced? Well, it's uh, it's incredible then, because you know the weightlessness effects. There really is a sense of, despite you know other issues with their sense of momentum and <laughs> inertia and things, that it has a real feel to it of weightlessness when when mm. she's in the ship when she's out when she, when she's spacewalking. I mean, there's, she spends uh, Ryan spends almost no time. There are some times when she's not in free fall. Uh, she's, well, she's always in free fall in the film. There are times when she's strapped into a seat, basically. Yeah. But the, most of the time, she's weightless, uh, free fall. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, and... so, uh, the, the external stuff was mostly CG. Um, for things like moving through the stations, they, they, um, used, oh, uh, aut- automotive, uh, ro- assembly robots and things like that to get, to get the movements. 
uh, looking for, and then obviously those get those get struck out of shot. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, well, it works very well. Um, hmm. So yes, visually, and I think um, uh, excitement-wise, th- this is a uh, space. I, I, I really, despite me thinking, oh god, what load of bullshit in a lot of places, I was still pulled along by it. Uh, I found the characters very likable. Um, we do, again, we have Ryan's. Um, it doesn't feel quite so tacked on as with Argy, you know, Ryan's backstory, which is pretty much the only person's backstory you find about, but it, it's very emotional and we find out she's in a really difficult place because she's lost her daughter. Um, but. Though, clear- and, and, as you said, um, somehow one wouldn't have been completely surprised to learn at the end that it was all hallucination and she'd never been in space at all. It was her way of coming to terms with her grief. There's a strong, well, yeah, it feels like there's a strong sense of metaphor and imagery to this whole, you know, she has a real personal journey. I'm just driving. No more just driving at the end. Um, and then she has this almost fairy tale escape from this very difficult situation. I'm using fairy tale a lot recently. Um, but, uh, I, you, I think you could read that as this is her emotional journey that she never actually mm. went into space she just she's rejoining humanity she's felt remote and aloof from everywhere and at the end she touches the ground and picks up the soil and she's she's back back alive that's i think that's a fair reading of it it's probably not the the real reading but it felt strong to me that i think there's yeah. some strong implication of it um anyway so she is rescued by Kowalski who manages to stop her panicking. Um, yeah the, this was the bit that really started to work me. I think I think you a bit less. But mm. yeah okay so here is the only woman and she is yes. younger than the man and she is the one who is panicking and he is the one who is older and reassuring. <laughs> and yeah in one film it could be coincidence but I can't feel it help feeling it all it's always like that you know. I must say, I, I mean, I think the film justifies it. She, it is her first spacewalk. She'd never been up before. But I think that goes back to a point you've made before. If you're only going to show one woman and she's going to have some features which women have often stereotypically, stereotypically been saddled with before, maybe that's a problem. Would this film have been so terrible if it was gender switched? Um, well, and we so, had... some of this is, um, she is learning to be less panicky. I just feel yes. that she is perhaps a bit too much so to start with. And being fair, we also have um, Dead Man give, gives women the emotional feels which give her the strength to do the thing, and usually that is switched, so... <laughs> well, that's true, yes. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't irk me so much, because I think it did a good job of saying that she is a rookie, but it is a... I will acknowledge it's a shame that she's the panicky one, and the old George Clooney uh, is the don't worry, I'm going to stoically die. <laughs> also, um, a, a film that got this very right, um, it was a fairly rubbish film in many other respects, uh, it was Red Planet from 2000. Never seen it, but I've been told uh, it's terrible. It, it's mostly pretty terrible, but the, the thing okay. it has right is uh, th- this, this is a mission to Mars. Uh, it has one person left in the orbiting spacecraft, played by Carrie Ann Moss, and yes. she gets the thing absolutely right of, I am giving the report of the thing that is going to kill me so that yeah. whoever hears this will work, will be able to work out what happened and maybe not die themselves. And, we, and she just has that perfect. We have, we had a similar issue, as I recall, with Apollo 13, that when you listen 
to the recordings of the actual, like the moon landing, where <laughs> as far as Buzz Aldrin knew, they were about to run out of fuel. <laughs> um, yeah. And Neil Armstrong was just pissing about the joystick. Um, and that probably was quite a tense moment. You would not know that from the recording. It's just like 30 seconds, mm. uh, 15 seconds. <laughs> and uh, similarly with Apollo 13, when you hear them talking to Houston, you know, the closest you get to it is a very slight strain in one of their voices, like, say again, Houston, or something like that. They do not panic, absolutely, mm. in any way. Um, and, and yeah, similarly, when you listen to, um, you know, the pilots breaking the, the, the sound barrier, the, their reports are all, absolutely, I need to do this by I, the book. It would be nice to have a bit of that. <laughs> it would. We didn't have it in Apollo 13, to be fair. And I've, you know, I was saying, um, oh, we, you know, we she's a it here from Kowalski, really, and not, not from uh, Stone, which I guess, but yeah. But, you know, the flip side of that argument, which counted to mine, is, you know, a lot of the astronauts we heard, that was their first spacewalk, and it was the first time anyone had ever done these things, and they don't sound that nervous. They've also been <laughs> intensively trained. So. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, but I will take that as a sock to sort of the audience. If you're seeing someone be absolutely unemotional about something that looks terrifying I suppose that's a bit distancing for the audience you want them to react a bit like you might I guess that's my that's my argument I, again maybe we're a bit more too space nutty for this kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. anyway uh, Kowalski um, grabs her attaches her to him so they are now one unit um, I don't. There were some complaints that when he blasted off, the the rope went tight, and that's not how it worked. I don't remember the rope being particularly tight. I think well, it just floats along with it. No, I mean, reluctant as I am to disagree with Neil deGrasse Tyson, maybe he saw a different cut of the film because often maybe. these things are you know, pre-released and whatever. But yeah, I mean, the, what what they got was he he starts to move off, then then there is a jerk as the rope goes taut, and then then. The, the composite body starts moving off together with, with a yeah. not particularly taut rope. That's I mean, right, this yeah. isn't a very elastic rope, but it, but it's, yeah. So, yes, but yeah. The, it's not like he's dragging her along. They basically join and become one unit. Where we have more orbital mechanic issues is, is then he's like, oh, there's the International Space Station. That way, let's blast over to it. Yeah, so on the actual uh, Hubble um, repair mission, it was specifically the case that the shuttle did not have the shuttle itself, never mind one jetpack, did not have the Delta V reserve to get. They planned it for you know, if if every shuttle mission was planned for if there's tile damage, we we don't want another incident. So they will yeah. go to the ISS and then then we'll sort things out later. For this one, they knew that wasn't a possibility, and so they actually had another shuttle on the pad for a rescue. Yeah, and so the, you would have uh, thought. I saw a thing oh. with a technical advisor, and he was ver he was very happy about this particular bit because he said I I I, I told um, Quaron that 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 wouldn't work, and but I but you know I gave him a solution. We'll we'll, we'll call it a different space telescope, um, you know, the the Canon because of a particular astronomer, and, right, and then yeah. we'll see if we can get sponsorship from Canon, even though it's spelled differently. And <laughs> and, and he he was very happy because he got this accepted. But certainly in the version I watched, it was being called the Hubble. So. It was called Hubble, the one I watched as well. Um, and it looked like the Hubble, to be fair. <laughs> but there we are. At least they didn't go up to the James Webb Space Telescope. Um, uh, 
so anyway, they so yeah, okay. Somehow... So we, we, we're told uh, up front it's uh, we're in a six hundred kilometer altitude orbit in, in yeah. the opening titles, and right. yeah, Hub- yeah, Hubble was a bit lower than that, but not much. So fair enough. Uh, ISS is at about four ten, four twenty, and well, so step one that, that's a four minute difference in your orbital speed. I mean, I, as I so understand, it, it's if not want... over there. It's it's that's the thing. That is the thing. It, it, everything here looks as if it is basically sitting there in the set, and you just as I, as it, as it's I understand, it's whirling around at thousands of miles an hour. If you want to go to a place, you either slow down and let them catch up with you underneath you, and then sort of drop onto it. Is that right? Or go faster, go faster underneath it, so you overtake it. Yeah. And so so so, so the slower or the lower orbit. Uh, gives you a higher speed and a higher angular speed. So if it's ahead of you, you need to go faster so you'll end up underneath it and then overtake it. Yeah, so what what you would actually do is um, burn directly away from it to, <laughs> to, to lower the low point of your orbit. And then you I mean, gradually abs- drift down and that, then, when, then, then you can arrange to gradually drift up again when you've got the round of it. This is not a trivial thing to calculate, but it, it, it's quite fun. Um, but it is, crucially, it's not, there it is, let's point the blaster at it, and pew. Yeah. In fact, that would, in fact, I think, I might be misremembering, but I think in the early Mercury missions, um, they were sort of thinking, oh, this is how it works, and realised it was actually very counterintuitive. Um, hmm. They probably had, I know... Um, uh, Buzz Aldrin did some work on orbital mechanics and, and how it would actually work when you're in space, which might be how he got into the astronaut corps in the first place. Yeah, anyway. Basically, when, when you're up close to something, you, all your velocities are pretty darn similar. So you, yeah. so you can treat it as if it were, oh, well, it's just over there, I'll go over there. Now I'll zap that, yeah. But, but when it's more than a trivial distance, you, you start having to think in terms of, no, it's all ellipses. Uh, and, the jetpack seems to run uh it has fuel plot fuel basically because it runs out <laughs> dramatically it runs out at the, the dramatically appropriate time but otherwise it, it takes it's well done i mean all the stakes are spelled out and i i appreciate you are caught up in it and you, I, it's a bit of a curse of knowing a bit enough about it i mean i didn't I don't have a grasp of orbital mechanics, but I knew enough that it didn't make a lot of sense. But there's something about George Clooney's reassuring presence that you kind of believe him anyway. Mm. <laughs> um, and you trust him in the way that um, Ryan has to. Um, and then we have uh, Kowalski's... Oh, oh, uh, also, we, we have no uh, communications with the reassuring voice of Ed Harris. Oh, it was Ed Harris, was it? Yep. Oh wow! As, really, as seen it? by us, of course, in the right stuff and a history of violence and Apollo thirteen. I, and, I, I believe it's because of the Apollo thirteen they specifically wanted to get him back for this. Well, that would make sense, but um, he just sounded like a generic Houston because Ed Harris is so um, good at being the Houston control um, <laughs> that I just assumed it was another one. Didn't sound like Charlie Duke. No, that's my main problem with all of this. Um, so, so uh, yeah, but, but this is where it. Okay, so we've got a satellite destroyed in low Earth orbit. Mm. And unless you have huge amounts of energy, the debris from that satellite is going basically spreading out from the orbit that satellite was in. Well, there, so it's coming around every ninety minutes, which means it's so spinning. You. Exactly. So it's spinning <laughs> basically twice the speed of the Earth. 
And how did it get so much energy injected into it? I mean, well, no, it will no, come round again. It, 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 it's in the 90-minute orbit that it was in okay. before, but so are exactly. you. So, so, you are, so, the, so it would have to be going twice the velocity of that, and then it wouldn't be in the same orbit as you or, would. Or it. retrograde or something. It doesn't, it doesn't but, make a lot of sense. Um, and the other thing is, of course, um, the communication satellites are mostly in geosync, which is way yes. above, you know, 30,000k. Plus. And there's a reason, yes. Uh, in, including Tidris, which is the, the ones actually used to communicate with shuttles. Um, GPS ought Kes- to be working because that's, you know, 20,000k up. The Kessler syndrome also, although it's a thing, it would happen much, much more slowly, probably, than is, this is seriously accelerated. Probably, yeah. I mean, we, it's a theory, isn't it? But it, um, depends how much, I suppose, then the amount of debris in satellites might have massively increased as they are doing as we speak. Uh, mm-hmm. in this fictional universe. Uh, but I suppose given that conceit, it is possible that there was or even is a rescue mission being attempted. They did have another shuttle fueled up on the runway, but we wouldn't know about it because they don't get to talk to Houston for the rest of the film. Also, given the debris environment as it's portrayed, you put up another one, it's just going to get shot full of holes like the other one. Exactly. Yeah, now, what you, you need would... in this situation is called Moose. Which, uh, okay. <laughs> which, which is a 1960s proposal. Um, to be fair, it was no, never actually built. It, it's basically a, um, emergency bailout system proposed for the early orbital missions. It's got, got a, a, a um, PT film bag that you strap into with, with, in your spacesuit. You, you pull the cord to fill it with urethane foam. Oh my god. And so you're packed in foam in your spacesuit, and you've got you've got a uh, parachute and a uh, small solid solid fuel rocket motor to deorbit with. So does the foam just like ablate as you go through the? Yeah, it's, it's basically a heat shield. Bloody hell! That would be a hell of a way to re-enter. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was can... never used. It, yeah, I mean, they, they they I think they did one with dummies, but um, ne- never an actual deorbit test. Oh my god. But so that, you, that, that presumably would... you're packed in, uh, and you can't see because you're surrounded by foam. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you want to be near the front, near the front of it, and, and be able to see out that way. Cause, and you need to take star sightings to get the um, re-entry angle correct. Jesus, we'll come back to that. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, well, that um, but, that would have oh, been boy, oh, that would have been, been that would have been visually dramatic, wouldn't it? That would have been, <laughs> but cool. a much shorter film, to be fair. Um. Well, it's interesting. You made it again uh, a point off air that um, the pro- part of the reason we have problems with the, getting these things wrong is uh, you can get this right and still make it dramatic. And a lot of the time, moved. it's very nearly right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, damn it! Uh, I'm a space geek. This film is supposed to be appealing to me. You're panda to me for a change. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and yeah, there are ways of making it like uh, okay, we have to spell out this is what would actually happen, and this is why this is difficult. So you just reframe the problem and have them solve it as they did with Apollo 13. Uh, I, I mean, they can't because they haven't got a whole ground crew working on it. But anyway, we now get to another contentious um, physics moment of Kowalski's death as they crash into the International Space Station on the last fumes of the magic jetpack. Um, and uh, oh, so it's a little... I'm surprised because um, Quaron... I think is a fantastic action director. Um, mm. He he's often very clear about the stakes, very clear what's happening. It's not kind of flat. You often don't get pumping music in the back, as we saw with Children of Men, um, and it is 
spectacular. But here, with the particularly with Kowalski's death, it's a little unclear quite what's happening um, because she gets tangled up in a parachute and they come to a halt. Right, mm-hmm. but then there seems to still be a force acting on Kowalski, pulling him away. And I don't and, know if and, they and come if he, to if a he halt. doesn't detach himself, she will be in some way pulled off the cable she's been tangled in. Yeah. Now you could have done that with uh, the jetpack's malfunctioning and it's blasting me backwards. I can't control. I can't stop it. You know, uh, uh, you'd have to explain the fuel or whatever. But it could have come up with something that explains mm. why I mean, there is a, a force a valve acting on him. Is entirely plausible. Yeah, I mean, it happened uh, to um, uh, Neil Armstrong on uh, one of the Merc- on one of the Gemini missions. So you could you could do the exact thing. He has to detach. He's pulling her with him. Just with a bit of adjustment to the story, but here I don't. Maybe I'm missing something, but I don't understand why they're both being pulled away from the station at that point. It, it felt too much like the classic. Um, we will play on the audience's fear of heights. There is gravity that is pulling you away from safety. The the thing that struck me, and I think it would have worked. This is a sign of how much the film wasn't really doing its job of keeping me involved. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we are getting close to the station, but we are clearly going to miss it, and the jetpack has run dry. So Kowalski pushes her so that she will hit the station, and then he will miss it by even more. That that would be a dramatic yeah. thing. That's another one. Yeah, exactly. He I, uses, I don't think uh, that would be any less dramatic. He pushes her and then quickly unclips before yeah. she knows what's well, going on. Well, unclip first and then push, but yeah. Exa- well, I don't... But yes, that would have been a really great dramatic scene as well. Uh, either way, he still gets to make the exact same choice. It's still just as tragic. It just makes sense mm. with physics. Anyway, Kowalski... Actually, uh, the, talking about atmosphere just briefly, as this is the same composer for the atmospheric stuff as in uh, Attack the Block, in fact, Stephen Price. Oh, really? Oh, well, that's um, interesting. I mean, it works. My goodness, I'd have loved just to have atmospheric noise instead. Yeah, I think... Uh, Particularly, I, I mean, it, you, know, you you don't hear the stuff that isn't in contact with your personal suit, the audience's viewpoint. Well, it does that a bit. Uh, quite it, often it does there that are beautifully, moments of, but um, then it, we get the boding music instead. Yeah, when it does that, it's brilliant. Whether they felt that would just be too much... I wouldn't mind a bit of dramatic... When she lands, and the, I wouldn't mind a bit of dramatic swell then. And also, mm. that would be a distinction. She's back on Earth, there is an atmosphere. Maybe music returns as well. But anyway... Whatever, yeah. Uh, but we don't quite... I didn't find it intrusive, but I agree. The bits that stuck with me are the bits where it's silent, and you could just hear her breathing, or clonks as she grabs stuff. Or something that's bounces off the seats, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's um, that was much fun. She makes it onto the ISS, um, which is now. This is where I thought this was okay. I di- I I assumed they didn't have a hundred percent oxygen atmosphere on the ISS because Apollo One, and you don't generally have a hundred percent atmosphere. It's actually more atmosphere. like standard sea level composition and pressure. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. So I thought when the fire was there, that is why the fire hasn't immediately engulfed the whole space station because it isn't 100% oxygen atmosphere. But, well, yeah, but there, there, are those, there are those beautiful little flamelets coming off it. Yes. What's making those happen? 
Well, I assumed that was something to do with it being zero gravity, but that's not the case, apparently. I mean, if if you were throwing off little chips of something combustible, then they might keep burning. But, you know, fires don't do that. Yeah, okay. Uh, Okay, I I will admit, and this was largely for gaming purposes, I I have done more research than is reasonable into the behaviour of fire in zero (laughs) gravity. It is a real problem. I mean, you you think Antarctic uh, bases have it bad. Um, uh, and and that, there you have you have to blowtorch the the diesel fuel tank on the tractor to get it started in the morning. Uh, oh my god! But no, the, the basic problem is um, all right. Rogers fire corner, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, you don't have convection, obviously, so heat only gets out by radiation and conduction, and those are much right. less efficient. So what you tend to get is here is a thing burning, and then it appears to stop burning, but it is because extremely, it's run out of fuel. It's run out of oxygen. Uh, right, yes. Uh, but it is extremely hot. And then when there is an air current, you know, you turn on the ventilator fan or you, d- you do a maneuver in the spacecraft that pr- provides inertia, that, then, then that convection can happen and it, it displaces the uh, CO2 and more oxygen comes in and it starts burning again. Yeah, just the as you're classic doing something. Thing of, in science fiction games, again, from my gaming background, there's a fire, alright, purge all the oxygen it'll put the fire out uh the problem there is when you put the oxygen back in the fire might well start up again yeah also uh, most okay re- something like the iss it is not really designed to be casually sealed one compartment from another um also i mean wh- one of the things that's been seriously proposed is some sort of inert extinguishing cooling thing you know a nitrogen flood or a carbon dioxide flood Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but that's heavy, and carbon dioxide will turn to carbonic acid if there's any water about, and that'll damage your electronics. But the basic problem is it's really hard to purge out of the environment system afterwards because you don't have oh. a redundant environment system. Uh, right? Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. So, anyway, anyway so, so, I mean, yeah, she, it, she doesn't try. That it, was end a... of Roger's fire corner. I, 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 I did note down. Hmm. Maybe if you hadn't ignored that fire earlier. Then, then it wouldn't, it wouldn't all be on fire now. Well, I did, I did, I quite like that as a bit of foreshadowing. It doesn't dwell on it. You're like, oh, it's on fire. Is that just some dressing? Oh and no. To be fair, that might well real... be a thing she hadn't been trained for. I, I think that was, I didn't mind that too much. I, in fact, I quite liked it as, um, you see it and you're like, shit. But she either doesn't or doesn't think of it as a problem. I think she just misses it. And then that uh, really comes back to well, the, the, the whole thing is, is sparking and creaking and all the rest of it. That may well just be a thing that uh, here is another side of this station is not in good shape as Ex- opposed yeah. to here is an immediate threat to my life. Uh, I mean, to, then we, the couple, couple, I'd just like to uh, go back a little bit because getting out of the suit. Yes. Okay. On the, on the one hand, yeah, getting out of a suit takes a, about 15 minutes on a good day. Yes, it's it's really every... quite tightly fitted. Uh, that but... would have caused the problems in the final scene where she's underwater. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, later. But, but ignoring that, uh, the, the thing that really slapped me around the head and said, ooh, look, yeah. symbolism. Uh, we, we've got this shot of her part, partly yeah, out, out of the suit, ignore the thermal undergarment and, and uh, maximum absorbency garment and all the rest of it because we, we've got to have her in our underwear because Ripley and Alien um, <laughs> but in, in in the slightly curled up pose with the with the trailing hose and oh yes we are doing embryo oh, symbolism yes. here we are well, this is where the metaphor this is what I mean about obviously being strongly metaphorical in a lot of ways um, and here is yeah giant space baby uh, to be honest if you're going to do a spacesuit striptease 
you really need to be Jane Fonda for me to, to have <laughs> interest. Uh, but it was very, I, I'm being me. We haven't really talked about the performances so far because we've been very nitpicky on the physics. Uh, I think they're both great. I mean, Sandra Bullock is really good here. Uh, George Clooney is, is being George Clooney. Um, but he's very good at being George Clooney. I suppose he's had a lot of practice. <laughs> but he's, uh, and also these are very restricted. I mean, effectively, it's limited to face and a little bit of body motion. They, I mean, they're, uh, God knows what it was like to actually film because it's special effects-tastic. And I, I don't know what... Well, she, she, how... I'm Sandra Bullock, at least, they, they had a thing they called the light box. Yeah. Which is basically, um, she would be suspended in the middle of this uh, thing full of LEDs as, as star background. And getting into that surprisingly realistically took long enough that she would basically sit in it for the entire 10 hours of, of a oh, film bloody day. hell well that's probably why she looks quite tired and stressed in most <laughs> of the i think she's great i mean i'm certainly sympathetic i'm with her her backstory does not um uh, drain me or make me roll my eyes like it did a bit in argo um i i found it moving um if a bit uh downbeat but the whole point of it is she's emerging from that cocoon from that airless lonely place that she's been back to the world um, I mean if this were the right stuff we, we would say why didn't the psychological testing catch this <laughs> yes. however there have been enough examples of um, shuttle astronauts who have gone a bit off the rails that yeah okay it's probably quite plausible right? I think Apollo 12 they got in a bit of trouble for it no Apollo 9 um, anyway uh, it uh, I, I think she's really good. I, I, she has got, I mean, I've seen Sandra Bullock in a few other things. She clearly has got some very strong acting chops. Um, she's very watchable. She is very beautiful. Um, she's very watchable. Um, and I, I think she's great here because she's basically carries the whole film on her mm. back and, and it, it, is surrounded. She is the sole performer for most of, for, is for it? most of it. I mean, we yeah. have George Clooney out of his spacesuit in one scene. Um, but the focus is very much brief. more, um, on, on her, even, even when he is still in the film, so. Yes, so she escapes from the ISS on the, the Soyuz, um, which he rapidly, uh, works out how to, how to, um, uh, escape from the, the ship. Well, that, that um, has been part of her training, to be fair. Yes, and that, I know I've got it. Which it's, suggests it's in well... turn that she should know how the ISS works and that the fire is a bad thing, but never mind. Never mind. <laughs> but there we are. Uh, and again, there's a really, interesting uh you know where she's caught up and the soyuz and uh, uh, the action with this sort of thing it is really thrilling and, and pulls you along with it when she's trying mm. to escape from the uh from, and then and we... this, this is even with the thing that's been been foreshadowed as they approached that um the parachutes are damaged this can't be used for re well i think deployed in fact they can't be it's used deployed, for re-entry. yeah and that, deployed is the problem because then it's wrapped around the iss but mm-hmm. um she oh she doesn't even escape they, she is saved by the timely arrival of the the space shrapnel again which severs the severs the parachute thankfully doesn't puncture a hole um <laughs> And she, Not that it would uh, matter, to be fair, because it's only uh, been well, used no, for the short trip. To, oh, to that's the, true. Yeah. Uh, and then she's out of fuel, um, and that's when she gives up. Um, and I think believably gives up, and it's just like, come on, that's too much for me. She has a brief chat with someone, with a ham radio operator, I think, down on the earth, mm-hmm. um, and turns the oxygen down and, and drifts off. And then, quite reasonably, has... A, an hallucination um, in this uh, uh, pretty poor... It's not that peaceful. I mean, she's... It's the CO2 that makes you feel like you're suffocating, not 
lack of oxygen and presumably CO2 builds up quite a bit. I don't think it'd be that peaceful unless she manages to... She'd have to flood it with something that wasn't CO2 for it to be as peaceful as that. Yeah, I mean, CO2 Um, induces uh, hyperventilation and panic, so... Yeah, so I I don't think, again, that's uh, Nick's slight medical corner that I don't think it'd be that peaceful to go to sleep like that. But... um, Well, if the circulation is still working but there just isn't any oxygen being pumped in, but the CO2 is still being taken out... Maybe. Yeah, it might be the CO two is being scrubbed. That is a that's a fair point. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. So then it would be just suffocate on nitrogen. Yeah, that would be that would be nice. But anyway, <laughs> anyway. Uh, to, to be fair, this is quite. I mean, it, it's not labelled as such, but it is very obviously. Uh, which I, I like when we've got all this metaphor going on. It is clearly a hallucination. Yes, yeah, it's not, uh, I, uh, for a moment you're fooled and you think, oh, how did he get back there? But then quite quickly you realise, no, this is, um, this isn't happening. Um, and she even kind of realises it on one, she's not surprised when he disappears. But it's welcome to see him back, he offers some good advice, and then it's nice to realise that was actually her that came up with the idea. Mm. Um, I mean, it's not, uh, okay, so it's not an amazing idea. I mean, you, you'd think you would have thought of that already, but she is in a stressful situation. Uh, she uses the landing jets. Um, have they got enough delta? V- well, there's a long way between, uh, the, the Chinese station wasn't up there then, but it is, it is tiny compared to the ISS, at least the real uh, one. Yeah, Tiangong 1 was launched in 2011, so that was not present when the script was first being written, but presumably added. It's about a third of the size of the ISS, if small, if not. Yeah, it, it was also down at three fifty-five kilometers, so it's quite a long way from that's the an, ISS. It's another seventy down, and an even faster orbit. So, yeah, th- this is not a matter of we will just punch across from one to the other. Uh... And I don't know if the landing jet, even if that was the, I don't know if the landing jets would have quite enough delta not, V. Not really. you might... No, but again. Uh, she she makes it over, and this is you know from the narrative beat. This is the the turning point of the film. This is where she stops giving up, and she fights for her life. And this is you know this is the point we've been building to, from when we've known she's just been kind of autopiloting through life. This mm. is the moment when she grabs hold of the, grabs hold of the reins again, and fights for her existence for a life. And it works as a narrative conceit. Um, it feels a little bit too neat and tidy in Hollywood that these two things are mirroring each other and this is hmm. this is kind of what she needed and this is why you start to think oh is this just all happening metaphorically or there is I, I think I looked online aside from my idea that maybe it never happened at all there are some ideas that actually she dies when she turns the uh, the oxygen off and everything that happens after that become is slightly more fantastical and a bit more uh, fairy tale and doesn't uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. I would argue it's not made a great deal of sense up until this point. Um, but uh, from there, th- there's an argument that she died and actually the earth is the earth bit is too perfect. She lands in the sea right next to a sandy beach and it's all. Uh, I don't I think this is supported by the film, but yeah. I, I don't think so. I, I prefer my theory. I think uh, yeah, I, I'd rather take a literal feeling of this is actually what's happening. But if that's the case, then this narrative beat just feels a little too neat to me that this is just the right thing for her at this time in her life. Hmm. Um, but there we are. Well, still... that, that I think that that is where we say, right, well, yes, this is Hollywood cliche. This, this is a big budget Hollywood film and everybody going yeah. in knew that. And I 
I think that is one of the things you get with a big budget, which is you ha- you have the money men interfering and saying, make it easier, easier to understand for the masses, because <laughs> yes. we need to get all the stupid people in to, to make our money back. <laughs> it's a shame that that's... Uh, that's um... Uh, And I think that is good to remind. I mean, part of the problem for us, this is basically a big, stupid blockbuster that's dressed up like an actual space mission, which is where Mm. we get a lot. You know, we didn't nitpick Die Hard to this extent about (laughs) how physically (laughs) realistic it was. Um, And I guess just because it's dressed up like a NASA mission. This got the 2014 Hugo. Exactly. Presentation long form, so... Uh, yeah, that, I think the way it's dressed, it, it invites more criticism. But it is, I mean, as as far as a blockbuster goes, it's thrilling. So, to finish the story, she does make it to the air, uh, the Chinese space station, gets on... Um, My fire the... extinguisher. Uh, I, I, I Not think... completely wrong, but my word, you'd need to be an acrobat. <laughs> I was going to say, you would, well, you'd have to put it right in the centre of your mass, I believe, mm-hmm. wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, and you would have had to have had pretty extensive training not to end up fuck knows where, basically, on, on that <laughs> sort of thing. Um, but at least the physics is right. Um, I, I don't think they'd... Uh, I don't think they'd last. I don't think they have those kind of fire extinguishers on space stations anyway. Possibly for that reason that you don't want to fly back and smack your mm, head on. Well, mo- mo- mostly it's CO2 because you've got lots of electronics. But um, again, as I said, you, you've got the corrosion problem. It, it's, it's all quite fiddly. She makes it. Uh, she gets out, and then the, the, the film's pretty over over pretty quickly after that. This uh, this shuttle works, and she lands. And there's a, a brief moment when she's going down through the atmosphere. Where she kind of makes her peace with whatever's going to happen, Which, again feels like a narrative beat. But um... I, I find the character interesting enough in terms of I'm a trained person who has to face all this crap without, yeah. and I feel sad about my dead daughter. <laughs> I think that I just felt like uh, it's not as uh, we came onto this film from the before trilogy, which is kind of ultra. Mm. It's not ultra realistic, but it's 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 shorn of most of this Hollywood. You must hit this narrative beat, then this narrative beat, then this narrative beat. It's Argo, ready to say people th- are complicated. Yeah, sorry. Go exactly. On. Argo, I think, hits this much worse to me. Argo is dressed up in real mm. history, but just so much did everything by the book. Oh, he's got a sad uh, daughter. Oh, his son likes science fiction. Let's wrap that plot up at this point. Let's wrap this plot up. This does it more expertly and better, but it is still beat by beat by beat, I feel. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm just a little weary, but it's a short film and it is, my word, it is visually spectacular. Absolutely. And it's, I just, I'm, I'm, all automatically down with the aesthetic um, yeah, and the serious and people in space. Th- that that all, all the stuff for igniting during re-entry, yeah, is, is just lovely. I mean, it's it's think they ought not to be holding the same speeds as each other, but it's <laughs> it's beautiful anyway. Exactly. Yeah, it's um, you don't mind that so much. Um, so uh, overall, I mean, for me, gravity is. Is short and sweet. Um, I almost wish I didn't. I don't know. I don't. Think, I, I certainly don't know as much about sort of orbital physics as you. But there are a lot of things that didn't ring true with it. Um, and I almost wish I didn't know too much to en- just relax and enjoy the film because it is an extremely enjoyable film. This mm. is the second film I've seen with Alfonso Cuarón directing, where I was struck by the action sequences. Uh, the yeah. notable exception being Kowalski's death, but th- they are just thrilling 
I, I, I don't think there is any single scene that compares with, with the fight in the car, in and out of the car, in in Children of Men. But on the, it it would be fair to argue that the whole film is being that. So. It's a, it's a real roller coaster ride, and it's a you can see. I mean, when you reminded me, it's an IMAX film. Absolutely, I mean, it it doesn't. Uh, when it stops for a moment, it is because we have this narrative beat to complete. Um, uh, hmm. But it is it's well done. It's beautifully acted. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I had a happy. 90 minutes watching it. I was very happy it was only 90 minutes, and that's always a good thing. Um, uh, Is it a masterpiece for me? No. It's a very good action film, but I don't know. Aside from the aesthetic and uh, the fact that it might get some people interested in space exploration again, which is a good thing for me, um, uh, I don't think it it really... As long as they don't go work for Elon Musk or somebody. Oh, jeez. He's listening. Be careful. Um, I uh, yeah, that's my feeling. A very good, full short of a masterpiece. Um, visually, I think it is a masterpiece. It just gets a bit too much wrong. Um, yeah, visuals are great. Plot breaks a bit. Characterization breaks a bit for me. Yeah, the, the, for me, the characters are too beautifully done and beautifully acted, but too. The, the acting rich. is good, but it's in service yeah. of not terribly interesting characters. Yeah, too written. Uh, I'm going to bring this emotion out of you, even though this is an idea someone had in a writer's room. You should feel sad like now. Cue yeah. Sad, cue feeling sad music. Yes, yeah. Uh, and it has a, Kowalski really didn't need to die, except he has to because of the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But very I, good. I, Enjoyable. A, a small side note of, of personal interest to me. Um, Tess Gerritsen, writer, um, sued saying that this was an, an unauthorized adaptation of her book 1999 gravity and on the one hand it very obviously isn't right i've read that book it's a very good book on the other hand i suspect that that the real reason is nobody is now going to make a film of that book because it is plausible near future stuff happening in earth orbit called gravity yeah (laughs) call it something else but it's uh... it's a shame because when i read it i thought it would be a great one to have as a book but did she sue them successfully? No, no, it was dismissed. No, fair enough. Okay. It well, make, it would have made a good film, but I don't think it will ever happen. You never know. Still waiting for Lord of Light. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> Maybe one day they'll make one. <laughs> I agree with you. That would I would have rather watched Lord of the Light, a Lord of Light film than Argo. But there we go. It's, it was not to be. Um, right. Um, sorry, that was a callback to a different episode. Um, uh, let's, shall we do 2013 in film? Yeah, so this one cleaned up at the Academy Awards. Um, seven Did title. It? Was this the same year as, um, no, the previous year it was, oh, what's the one with the tiger on the boat? Life um, of Pi. <laughs> Life of Pi. I, I have seen Life of Pi. I think that's, Probably a better film than this, but well, we we did consider that and ended up for this and ended up rejecting it. But uh... I well, I had to. We're trying to avoid films that uh, at least one of us, certainly that both of us have seen, unless it's a film we really want to watch. But, yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, so yeah, that that was the big winner um, of of the major awards. It only got best director, but it got a lot of technicals. Uh, Twelve Years fair. a Slave got best picture. Oh yeah, we thought about that. But, and they, um, they, they don't often split, but that was one that did. Also, supporting actress and adapted screenplay. Uh, Dallas Buyers Club got three, uh, including actor and supporting actor. And no memory of that film at all. 
the the um, illicit obtaining of pharmaceuticals for AIDS patients. Okay, all right, sounds interesting. So semi-real. I don't I don't know how accurate it was. Um, okay. Frozen got two. <laughs> I, I, I don't begrudge Frozen, but yes, when but you, you presume you had to see it twenty million times. Uh, so. Yes, um, I have the soundtrack and listen to it quite a lot, uh, and I still don't hate it, which is a mark of a not a terrible film <laughs> for sure. And uh, The Great Gatsby got two. Oh, I think I think that's overrated. I think the book is overrated. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I read the book and was... Maybe because I don't live in that era in that time, but I love the 20s, man, and I found the book pretty tedious. Mm -hmm. So, let's see. This was Marianne's film of the year. uh, Okay. With with 12 Years a Slave coming at number two. And, yeah, if I were less of a space geek, I would have loved it more. Yeah, I think so. I might have enjoyed it more in IMAX, though I I yeah. find pretty much any screen you watch, you get used to quite quickly. That's my theory. But the, the, I the imagine... sense of immersion is a thing. I mean, I I, I don't think yeah. I've ever seen a full length film on IMAX. I've seen short stuff. So yeah, that that might. Well be I valid. will have to give it a try in my VR helmet some of the scenes and see um, see how that works. <laughs> um, I'll probably throw up, but it might be worth trying. Um, and apparently, but... his head exploded. <laughs> That's how we found the body, Your Honour. Um, all right. At the box office, um, let's see. Yeah, I think this may be the only non-series film at the top ten. Uh, uh, so okay. number ten, Thor: The Dark World, which I think Thor two or three. Uh, I think it's two. It's the worst Thor by a, by far. Uh, number nine, Man of Steel. Uh, oh goodness, that's terrible. Number eight, Gravity. Uh, so yeah, right. well, a, a I, film I, we're doing actually made the made the box office. Yeah, and it's better than I, we. I liked it a lot. I feel like we were very down on it, but fair enough. Well, as we've said sometimes before, it, it was a film that uh, it, it is theoretically at least aimed at people like me, and I should love it, and I don't, and therefore I feel disappointed that I don't, and so possibly I'm harder <laughs> yeah. on it than. Yes, that's fair, but it's still... If, if it were uh, about something I don't know about, I don't know, competitive knitting or something, and it got those details wrong, <laughs> oh then, then I, I would not have been expecting it to get the Crochet right... Crochet with George Clooney. Uh, okay, number seven, uh, Monsters University, which is sequel to Monsters, Inc. Uh, I, I surprisingly have not seen that more than three times. So. <laughs> uh, number six, Fast and Furious 6. Um, Goodness. Five, uh, The Hunger we Games. We should do it. We should do a Fast and Furious every every film episode. All right, no, we should. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've seen well, the first three, I think, which is before you, it I've... really got to the whole it is its own genre style. It was probably very realistic in those days. Also, yeah, num- no, number I've... three is very much, yeah, you, you sent away your box tops and joined famous screenwriters school, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, can can you complete this line? If you live in my house, you got to play by blank. <laughs> anyway, uh, number five, Hunger Games: Catching Fire, which is part three point one or three point two. I've lost track. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, it's good. She's very good. Has well, maybe, maybe part two. Uh, I, I mocking Jay. Oh, I don't know. Hunger Games: Mocking Jay, and I, I've, I, I, I've seen one to three, and then I just lost all my enthusiasm for seeing the second half of three. So. That anyway. happens a lot, you know. Uh, number, at uh, fourth place, The Hobbit, Desolation of Smog. 
Well, see, at least they didn't split the last part of The Hobbit into three. That would I, have been... I, I suspect they planned to, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, they already, you know, it was already two films longer than it needed to be. Yeah. Uh, number well, they they were. Tra- they, I think to be fair, they were saying we're never going to get to film the Silmarillion, so let's get as much of it in here as we can. Well, they've yeah. done Wings of Power now, which is basically the Silmarillion, but that yeah. was a that wasn't uh, anyway. Uh, number three, Despicable Me two, and I have strong feelings on that, but I've already written a review. Uh, I think you uh, you like Despicable Me and hate Despicable Me too. Yeah, right? be- yeah. because Despicable yeah. Me too was trying to do something interesting with, with the, uh, what could be a cliched character, and then two, it was all we will shove you straight back into the cliche mold. Well, yeah, and now there's been all the minions. There, it's, it's become its own franchise, unfortunately. Mm. But there we are. Uh, number two, Iron Man three. Uh, I, I forgot. That's the one with Ben Kingsley in it, isn't it? Isn't oh, I think Mark so. I remember it's, when it's Ben Kingsley right. in a film didn't mean it was going to be absolute rubbish. <laughs> we it, never it's did not sexy... him specifically. It's just he doesn't seem to go in anything that isn't rubbish. <laughs> we never did Sexy Beast. I think we should maybe revisit that. He's very good in Sexy Beast. And at number one, Frozen. That animated film takes the top box office. That was that was Frozen then. Was it? Oh, God, yeah. it feels like much longer ago. Oh well. <laughs> uh, oh, I don't begrudge it. It is. It's no Moana. But it is a very good Disney film. Moana is by far and away the best Disney film. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame about the sponsorship by the Hawaii Tourist Board, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, fair enough. Um, But yeah, and and two two great songs as opposed to the one in Frozen. Yeah, yeah, well, yes. I I remember when I didn't know all the songs off by heart. I'm trying to remember which one I liked before letting go through. (laughs) Well, there we are, 2013, the box office... Uh, it was quite depressing, but at least Gravity was in it, um, yeah. and I don't, I don't begrudge Gravity being in it. Um, well, there we are. And, That's and I'd just 20 like to did. say, uh, Kayla, if you're listening to this on the way to work, watch out for that truck. <laughs>